Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This is Matt Liner, and you're listening to Reign of Troy Radio. Reign of Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Could I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scrap, claw, up against the wall. I can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USB is five and seven and not going to a ball. Oh. All right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 348, coming to you on Tuesday, November 26th. We're going to look back at USC's 52-35 win over the UCLA Bruins, open up the mailbag, talk about over-unders, and so much more here on this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Troy. Our email address is reignoftroy at fansad.com, and our phone number is 213-373-1USC-SECOLITSBURN-SHOW. Show. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host here in the Reign of Troy studio in Los Angeles, Elisa Daratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Elisa. It is a bye week after USC finished the regular season with a 17-point win over their crosstown rival UCLA Bruins on Saturday at the Coliseum, once shared by both teams up until 1981, I think UCLA moved to the Rose Bowl. Uh, how do you feel about this bye week being at the end of the regular season? SC had it there uh, in 2017 and got no bye week during the, the the first 12 weeks of the season. This year, there's an extra week in the calendar, so they got a bye week and they get this one here towards the end, probably won't see it for the, the maybe, who knows, maybe ever, again, 
2022 and 2024, SC ends with Notre Dame. And then in 2021 and 2023, SC ends with BYU. So you might as well enjoy a USC football-less weekend for Thanksgiving uh, now, because who knows when you'll see it again. Yeah, I'm low-key really excited to have a week where I don't have to prepare for a USC football game. And that it that it falls on Thanksgiving week just uncomplicates my life a lot. I don't have to write all the preview stuff I have to do normally. I don't have to do all the research I have to do. Instead, you know, I can spend the week getting ready for all the stuff that we expect to happen in December, uh, monitoring the Hilton situation, covering all the UCLA stuff, and then, like, you know, baking. <laughs> it's just life is a lot, a lot easier when I don't have to, like, carve out time in the middle of Thanksgiving preparations to talk about, you know, the upcoming game with whoever. Was that a pun on purpose? Carving out time? None of my puns are ever on purpose. They are all accidental. So you weren't going to stuff that one in there? I was not trying to stuff that one in there. No, no. It was all natural. All natural is my puns. It was a a sweet potato of a pun. I won't say that. Um, I'm not a very punny person. (laughs) Anyways, uh, yeah... There's Thanksgiving this week, no USC football, uh, potentially in, for another month, who knows, or until next week if Utah loses to Colorado. Uh, the Utes are huge favorites at home in Rice-Eccles against the Buffs. Buffs coming off a win over Washington, so who knows. I mean, 6-5 and five Washington, 3-5 and five in conference Washington. 3-5? Uh, yeah, 3-5. and five. Like, who would have ever expected... UW to be in that situation. I don't think anybody. The Pac-12 standings are all sorts of weird, uh, and especially in the North, because everyone in the North except for Oregon has basically fallen flat on their face. And oh, by the way, Oregon just fell flat on their face. Can, can we talk about those standings? So I I had put together an article for Renatory.com that goes over USC's three possible bowl scenarios. There's only three. It's very simple. It's very clear cut. Uh, it's as clear as it'll ever be, probably, given the it's situation. As clear as I can ever remember it. Yeah, because it's SC is seven and two. They're guaranteed to finish first, second, or third. No worse than third in the conference. Because if you look at the conference, Oregon and Utah are both seven and one. SC is seven and two and done. And then there is a huge gap. You have Oregon State and UCLA at four and four. Neither team is bowl eligible. Yeah. Which is fascinating. The only way Oregon State can go to a bowl is if they upset the Ducks in the Civil War, which is probably not going to happen. But I'm, who kno- I'm, I'm rooting for it. Who knows? And then UCLA just can't go to a bowl because they already have seven losses unless they go in as a 5-7 and seven team and after beating Cal or whatever. But it's going to be a weird situation because those are the next two teams. And then after that, there's a litany of 3-5 and five teams. Your Washingtons, your ASUs, your Arizonas, your Colorados. Like, all of those teams are just stuck at 3-5. and five. Washington State, Stanford finishes at three and six. So SC guaranteed to at least finish third. They can only go to essentially the Rose Bowl, the Alamo, or the Holiday, and it all depends on if the Pac-12 sends one or two teams to the New Year's Six Bowls, uh, and whether or not SC backs into the Pac-12 championship game and ends up winning that game against Oregon and going to the Rose Bowl themselves too. So it's very clear cut. And very weird that this is a season in which SC underachieved. SC bounced back from five and seven. They did improve. They have a three game improvement in their twelve game regular season, which is which is good, not good enough, 
Certainly not good enough. They could have done so much more. There's a reason Clay Helton's on his hot seat. And despite all of that, despite all of the gripes USC fans have, they're 7-2 and in conference, and they're going to go to one of the Pac-12's best bowls, which is just a wacky situation given the rest of the uh, the conference this year. I mean, the Pac-12, <laughs> parody gonna parody, right? Like, that's the only way to describe it. But if, if you were Larry Scott, how mad were you about ASU beating Oregon? I mean, it screwed up everything for the Pac-12. Because for we, we, we're, did we talk about it on a, sh- on a show or just in person when we were talking about how cool it would be to have the Pac-12 be a playoff, a, a playoff quarterfinal? Yeah. And now it's not because Oregon screwed up. And that's the Pac-12 for you. It's just, you know, uh, who was it? Uh, John Wilner tweeted earlier this year that no one, and I mean no one, eats their eats their young like the Pac-12. And that one just goes to show, like, this is what you do in the Pac-12. You just have everybody spoiling the show. And at this point, I know that I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's likely at all that Utah loses to, to Colorado. At this stage, like, Utah is just on a roll, and I expect them to roll through and win the conference, but like, it wouldn't be that surprising if the Pac-12's playoff hopes were dashed by a random upset in the last week of the season by Colorado over Utah because reasons, because chaos, because the Pac-12. Because that's what Colorado does. Yeah. So. Well, and and part of the yeah, then the, this is what Colorado. <laughs> well, this is what well anyone in the Pac-12 does, but. Um, the interesting thing is that we have been going back and forth with people on Twitter since we noted the whole USC can only finish third or better in the Pac-12. Like, the objective status of where USC is this season, objectively, 8-4 and four is a decent season. Objectively, okay, no, 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 don't, don't turn into one of those people, Michael. Just let I, me say I, my piece. Okay. No, 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 we're not fighting this. Objectively, eight and four is a winning season, is it not? I don't care about who USC it's is. It's a or, winning season because it's above five hundred. Objectively, eight and four is an improvement on five and seven. Objectively, eight and four is a winning season. Objectively, finishing third or better in your conference is a good year. Objectively, now we can layer on the expectations around USC. We can layer on the things that USC should or shouldn't be doing. We can layer on all those things, but to finish third or better in the conference, and to go to the Alamo Bowl is a good thing. And yet, USC being USC, we get to sit here on this podcast being freaking miserable for the next month while we sort through all of this crap. Is it, wait, oh, this is optimistic or pessimistic, at least? I can't tell. I mean, this is, people get confused. It's both, right? It's like, both. The, well, that's, can that's the can thing, we, right? can we, can we all just like view this, can we just try to view this objectively? One, you know, two things can be true at once. One, USC should expect more than they've gotten this season out of their team. Two, what USC has gotten out of their team is okay. Like, it's good. Like, objectively, they have achieved something, well, even if... We've talked about it before. Like, if this season was last season, the, the hot seat for Clay Helton is entirely different, right? Yes. Because, yeah, you know, when the national media is talking about Clay Helton and saying, well, he's done so much to keep the team together, all the injuries and all that stuff... He has. Like, yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I will hear that if, again, the same mistakes that this team is making aren't still there. The the special teams miscues, the offense sputtering uh, themselves and stopping themselves, uh, the the defense still being that defense that just routinely gives up between, you know, 21 and 31 points and sometimes 35 points to their arch rival uh, at home, right? Like, 
all that kind of stuff, those things still happen no matter what, and those kind of supersede the, the, the singular issues. All these things can coexist. Uh, we, we can sit here and say that SC deserves some sort of credit for not crumbling this season when they certainly could have. Because they did last year and they didn't this year, so right. you have a direct comparison of sure. how things can go. 100%. And, you know, we can talk about how Graham Harrell had to adjust the offense to be more air-rated towards the, the second half of the season. Because they lost some, the, some legitimately good running, running backs. backs. And, you know, Keaton Slovis had a lot of pressure on his shoulders because of that. But at the same point... He was able to really thrive with that and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of things to look at and like, and there's also a lot of million things to look at and, and dislike, and it's both. And it, and this is what USC is, right? It's the, it's that it's that medium between you can see, you can you can you know what it is? My analogy for this is SC is in a USC fans are in a room that is like hermetically sealed mm -hmm. with a really cold AC and it's a nice day outside. No, maybe the heater's on actually. The heater's on. It's a really nice pretty day outside, but you can't enjoy it. Uh, because you like you can you can see like oh my god, it's beautiful. Wow, I'm in Hawaii. It's a tropical beautiful beach, but I can't actually enjoy it because, because I'm in this room. Because you're in this room. Yeah. My my analogy is that uh, we as podcasters are faced with the dilemma of somebody comes up to us and asks, um, "Restaurant A, what is the best thing that you're what 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 is Restaurant A doing well and doing poorly?" And we're sitting there saying, "Well, this is the best dish on Restaurant A's menu," and someone over on the side of the room is shouting at us, "Restaurant A sucks." That's not even that that dish wouldn't fly at this Michelin star restaurant or anything like that. And I was like, yeah, I know if you're a, if you aspire to be a Michelin star restaurant, then what you're serving at restaurant A isn't good enough. I never said that. I am objectively looking at what restaurant A is serving me and telling you whether or not I can eat it. Can I eat it? Is it is it edible? Yes, it's edible. Can Why are you we can, your can we talk Alicia? about th like this is my biggest problem is that. We can't spend every waking hour of our lives just talking about how crappy this program is because you can only say it so many ways. So, like, I want to start talking about the bowl scenarios and I want to start talking about the All-American possibilities and the Bolitnikov possibilities and, you know, what the future of this team is and all that. And then, like, and then there's people who are stuck in that hermetically sealed room who can only focus on it's freaking hot in here and that's the only thing we can talk about. Like, okay, yes, but... I mean, we know it's hot. We're sweating out here. We're 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 dying in the heat. But the the conversations we have can't all revolve around the heat. Like it's it's just we can talk about other things without it always coming back to I don't care about what's for lunch because it's hot in here. Like oh, okay, guys, I know, but okay, I'm just just I'm just ugh. asking if did, did you want nuggets or did did you want to? I don't want chicken stars. They are chicken stars. Sir, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> I feel like maybe I would get USC fans mad at me if I responded to everything like that, but I might start responding Can to Can I everything. say how much I hate that meme? It's not, it's an overused meme. It's not a good meme. It's, it's a way a over, meme. it was funny like the first time, but now it's. I'll, I'll tell you what's not funny the yeah. first time, and that's it. Our rant line. So let's go right into it. USC football fans calling into the Randy Troy rant line. 213 
373-1-USC-Suckin-What's-Bruins-Show. Show. That's the phone number. Here's what people had to say after USC's win with the UCLA Bruins. What up, Rainer Troy? It's your boy, Brandon. This is Scott from Memphis. I'm Michael and Alicia. This is Ron from Northern Virginia. This is Derek from Fort Worth. Hey, Rainer Troy. This is L.A. Fred. Hey, Rainer Troy. Darlene from San Diego. I just wanted to rave a little bit about the UCLA game. Uh... Specifically, the great play from the wide receivers. My raid is for, well, of course, Keaton Slovis, who is the truth, and Graham Harrell, who um, made a great adjustment and uh, aired it out this year, uh, despite the injuries at running back. While it would have probably benefited us to lose this game, I could never want to lose to UCLA. Um, so I'm glad that we won and, and we put up 50 points. Keaton Slovis is the dude, man. Keaton Slovis is the man, and I think it's his job to lose uh, for next year. I'm even saying Heisman uh, trying to go for next year. I think he's that good. I'm happy they won. I'm happy for the seniors, but it's still a horrible win. Just everything is so sloppy and just dirty diaper defense, bad special teams, sloppy football. That's all I feel with Clay Hilton is sloppy. Because um, we should be able to enjoy seeing USC score 50-some points on UCLA and not have those things that just are clear mistakes that happen over and over. That's the frustrating part. Clemson's defense is like synonymous with always being out of the damn play. Like, people be wide open. Come on, man. This is crazy. There's never a person around the people that it needs to be when you look at the play. Like, why was nobody even in that area? At what point if Helton's going to stay as the head coach, does it come with a requirement that he has to can Pendergast and Baxter? I've had it with those two fools. Clay Helton has to go. John Baxter has to go. Clancy Pendergast has to go. Can we launch an investigation to see if John Baxter has incriminating photos of Clay Helton? Why he's able to draw a paycheck and keep UCLA in the game is beyond me. I'm not going to lie. I like ESPN uh, endorsement of Clay Helton. Recruiting purposes only. But other than that, you know, if you know the guy's not going to lead you to a national championship, what are you doing? Under Clay Helton, are the Trojans going to be competing to go into the playoff next year? And the answer for me is no. He's shown us that he won't be successful at USC, so why should we uh, believe that anything will be different? I thought I'd never be sent this, but I wish we would have lost a day. That way I can guarantee Clay Hilton would be out of here. I think they're going to bring him back. Oh, my God. I said it. I think they're going to bring him back. None of us has any control over the coaching situation, but we do all have control over our attitude. And let's at least take a little step back and celebrate beating the Bruins. It is always a goddamn good day when we kick some Bruin ass. If nothing else, I don't have to hear from my friends and extended family, and God forbid, my own darn son. I am going to end my string of calls by doing what I have done, sticking with this tradition, since you guys have started the, the the rant line, the rave line. But yeah, here we go. Fight on for all the sea. Our men fight on to victory. Our alma mater, dear. Looks up to you. Fight on and win for all the sea. Fight on to victory. Fight on. 
Fight on, Rainer Troy. Thank you guys for all that you guys do uh, throughout football season, outside of football season, for all of your sacrifices uh, to to make a podcast uh, that uh, people like me can listen to. Uh, have a happy Thanksgiving uh, to everybody, everybody in the Rainer Troy family. Um, love you guys, all the robots. Uh, so I just wanted to also say thank you guys, Michael, Alicia, Trent, everyone else on the Reign of Troy team for great coverage again this year. Guys, fight on. Awesome victory. On to the Alamo Bowl. Fight on and beat whoever's next. Fight on. And fight on, everybody. Thank you. Take care. I'm out. There we go. Alicia, we had some rants. We had some raves. People high and low about... USC football. What else is new? What else is new? I mean, that's <laughs> what else is new. On Twitter, Reddit put out a uh, a, a thread that's a uh, complaint about your team, like the the this week's complaint about your team thing, and I I quote tweeted it saying USC fans right now. Well, my team put up 52 points, beating our bitter bitter rivals, while the freshman quarterback set a school passing record and four wide receivers had 100 yards. But it made it more likely to keep the head coach I want gone, so it was a win, but was it really a loss? <laughs> Maybe. I think that sums up this week for, for me, at least. Yeah. Uh, you will talk about that game more on Patreon, patreon.com slash Troy, where you can subscribe and listen to all of our bonus episodes, including Alicia's rewatch. You did a rewatch this week, talking about USC and UCLA. It is up over on Patreon. You can listen to it there. Uh, we're going to talk about the game a little bit here in this episode, but so much more detail over on uh, on Patreon. Five fifty five a month for all of our bonus episodes. Ten bucks you get to join the Slack community where we're talking about USC football and so many other random things. Twenty four seven it feels like at this point. Yeah, we <laughs> we've gotten into some Thanksgiving talk. We've gotten into random uh, other football talk. We've gotten into like talking about fan fiction and other things too so we're, we're chatting we're chatting everything and a lot of discussion about what's going on with uh with clay hilton and, and stuff so if you want something that looks more at less at the big picture kind of what's this mean for clay hilton the rewatch is a good thing to get down into the details of what did usc do right in this game and what did usc do wrong in this game and we can start by saying that keaton slovis did right yeah he's uh it's pretty, 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 pretty good, for sure. Anyways, we're going to take a quick break, come right back, talk about the news, and so much more up next. All right, Alicia, let's get into the news, talk about USC's leading receiver, Michael Pittman, 95 catches on the season. He had 13 uh, for 104 yards against UCLA. Big outing for him, and he is now a finalist, a top three finalist for the Bolitnikoff Award, an award that goes to the best, most outstanding, whatever it is, FBS receiver from any position. Yes, it's very important that we tell you that this is not a wide receiver award. This no, is a of course receiver not. Why, award. Why would it be? Not a wide receiver I award. I mean... It's a receiver award, but not a wide receiver Exactly. Award. It's a receiver award because... Don't assume know, that it's wide receivers. It's only that wide receivers have won every iteration of the award going back forever, but it's a receiver award, Michael. Exactly. Receiver Everyone who, passes a ca- who catches a pass in college football is eligible for this award, even though receivers win it wide receivers win it or receivers win it 
I guess. I Receivers. Know. Michael not, Pittman not is a wide receiver. receiver. He is. But, and so but is they, Jamar Chase, and so is C.D. Lamb. But, again, other positions are eligible for this thing. Yes. Um, but uh, those three guys are the ones in it. Chase from LSU, C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma, and Michael Pittman from USC, of course. Th- this is this is great news for Michael Pittman. He's finally getting some rec- uh, recognition here. Uh, it makes it very likely or gives them at least a good shot to, to get some all American nods and, and get on that wall. I think this is a good thing for him. Something that Judas Smith Schuster never got. That's... Uh, Nelson Aguilar got that. Uh, we'll see if Michael Pittman can end up on the wall, which would be, which would be really nifty. Does he have a chance to win? I don't really think so. I, I think that CD lamb is going to have oppor- big opportunities here. He, he's name recognition a little bit more so than Michael Pittman. Uh, and then, Chase is at LSU, number one team in the country. They're going to have big opportunities here the last couple of weeks, including the SEC championship game against Georgia. And he's going to have an opportunity to make an extra statement. Michael Pittman might be done uh, before the, the, the bowl game, which is after the awards. Yeah, I think the only way that Michael Pittman wins this award which he is absolutely deserving of the finalist nod. I think the yeah. only way he wins it is is if USC gets into that Pac-12 title game um, because that'll give him one last showcase. The problem is that C.D. Lamb and Jamar Chase both have games this weekend and then they have their conference title games. So that's two games to get up on, on Pittman, two, two weeks where Pittman could be inactive. So if he's inactive on that second week, then... It's going to be very, very rough for him to stay in the national spotlight and also to have numbers comparable. His numbers look really good right now. They are very good right now. But relative to the other two, he has the advantage of having played two more games. So that's, you know, a, a little bit of a, of a tough. The per game numbers don't quite go his way. Uh, but, you know, I think that I think that Pittman certainly has an argument that he can make. I think if I'm Michael Pittman or USC, I'm sending out the tape of the Utah game. Uh, in which he made, you know, a, a third string quarterback playing y- the Yolo raid. Uh, he 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 paid paid that off with tons and tons of great great catches in that game. You could argue that Michael Vimmin single handedly beats Utah. That's upsetting a top six team. Uh, you know, in in a game where they were down to their third string quarterback. So. Michael Pittman has a case. What I'm excited about with him as the finalist is something you brought up. If you are a finalist for the Bolitnikov Award, that puts you in right in line to potentially get an All-American nod. And my big fear was that Michael Pittman was going to have this great season, but have a hard time getting an All-American nod just because he wasn't going to have the prolific numbers that some of the G5s guys have. Um, he wasn't going to be on a national title contender like the, like the LSU receivers, and he didn't have the name recognition coming into the season like Jerry Judy or CeeDee Lamb. So him being in that top three gives him some better name recognition, gives him some some potential incentive all he needs to do is get named on one i don't care who it ap football writers association usa today uh uh college sports madness pro football focus mike de simone uh, sports.com yeah whatever it is sports on earth i don't care we're shout out to my youth by the way well congratulations on that but um we should i mean we could give him a reign of troy all-american for as far as i'm concerned if, if usc would put him on the all-american wall then let's make it happen but you think that would happen you think that if we we did all-american we, lists i that 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 uh that the sid department would, would recognize it i don't think reign of troy would but fansighted hey maybe we could convince fansighted to do fansighted.com do it and yeah. uh Make that I happen? I don't know that we want to be state media. No, no, but uh, but uh, you, you know, never you never know. There's a lot of uh, a lot of different all American uh, teams that are out there. But my big thing is, 
I think it would be awesome to see him get a Belitnikov. I think he would he would certainly be deserving of it. But my big thing is be on the All-American wall. Have your name on the number six in USC's media guide and all of that kind of stuff. I'm really invested in that for for Pippen because Juju didn't get it, and I and that still feels like a, a travesty. So yeah, and speaking of players getting some recognition, let's talk about Keaton Slovis and Talano Hufanga. Second straight week that Slovis gets recognition by somebody for being a National Player of the Week. This week it's from the Rose Bowl, the Rose Bowl Player of the Week uh, for Keaton Slovis. 515 passing yards sets the USC single game passing record. Uh, 22 more yards than Matt Barkley had against Arizona back in 2012. Uh, and he's also the PFF, Pro Football Focus, Team of the Week quarterback nationally. Pretty solid for him. Uh, let's talk about de- defense. Talano Hufanga is the Defensive Player of the Week for the Pac-12. He had the most tackles by USC Trojan since Troy Polamalu in yeah, a single game. That's a lot of tackles. <laughs> 18 tackles. 18. Yeah. Evan Weaver, that's like Evan Weaver status. Yeah, Evan Weaver does that every week, apparently. Um, yeah, n- good week for Keaton. Uh, Talanoa, it's a it's a good accomplishment for him, but honestly, like, I don't necessarily want my safety having 18 tackles. Like, if my linebacker is having 18 tackles, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Safety having 18 tackles, not so much, but T- Talanoa did have a very good game, and it was noticeable when he went out of the game because he had a, he got knocked up or, or not knocked up, <laughs> knocked around a little bit. Um, <laughs> uh, he had to come off for uh, I think about a series, and it was noticeable his absence. So, uh, always good to have him on the field for USC, and he's becoming quite a player. Yeah, the reason you have a Trojan defense is so you don't have someone getting knocked out. Exactly. Yes. Uh, anyways, uh, let's talk about this USC game. USC wins fifty-two, thirty-five. Looking back on it, I pretty much stand. Everywhere I did in the, in the car cast, there was so much to like on offense for the Trojans. On defense, uh, they had great drives and they had awful drives. Both of those things existed. USC was truly medium on defense, but truly fantastic on offense. Part of that was just taking advantage of a really, really, really real, real, real bad UCLA secondary. Horrendous. Yeah. I, I, I feel bad for Darnay Holmes because he's a legitimately good player, a good corner for UCLA, and he's got nothing around him. Yeah, but when you're 5'10", Darnay Holmes, like, and you're being asked to cover Michael Pittman it's It's a no-win situation. Like, yeah. I don't know what your defensive coordinator is doing to you. And this is the thing that I think we've learned uh, throughout the season. It would be very interesting to see this version of the USC offense play BYU again because BYU was the first one to do it really, really well. Uh, but the idea of drop eight and force, you know, force the quarterback to have tight windows to throw into and never give the the wide receivers, uh, you're, you're never putting your guys one-on-one with a wide receiver. In this game, and I harken ba- harkens back to the Utah game where I think Utah was too confident in their DBs. I think Cal was too confident in their DBs. UCLA apparently was too confident in, in their DBs because they very rarely dropped eight. And I, I talked about this in the rewatch. The unfortunate thing for USC for UCLA is that even when they did drop eight, like Keaton Slovis ripped them to shreds. So like I don't know if this ends any better for UCLA if they do it. But I don't think the dropping eight thing is foolproof anymore. Well, I, I think SC has, has, has been able to com, com, combat it, you know, so much better than they did earlier on the season. But it's certainly better than giving than letting USC yeah, have the it, opportunity the to score fifty two points of attack defensively. In, in part by by 
having as many explosive plays as USC had. USC had, uh, we, we counted out, it was seven or eight plays of 20 or more yards in this Spoiler game. Spoiler alert. Well, we're going to cover it on the on the over-under, but suffice it to say, there were a lot of plays of, of 20 or more yards, and there were a lot more between 15 and 20. So UCLA was just getting destroyed on these longer, uh, medium to, to long passes, and it, a lot of that was because they, they didn't have enough bodies in the secondary to deal with it, and they were rushing four and five and bringing six, and they weren't getting to the quarterback. They got to, to Keaton Slovis three times for three sacks, but... Frankly, they weren't getting there quickly enough, and Keaton Slovis was doing doing too good of a job of manipulating the pocket and keeping his eyes downfield, and it just destroyed them. So, like, if I'm an opposing defense, I get deciding, I get saying, we're just going to go man to man, and we're going to go talent to talent, and we'll see how we fare. But, like, when you're facing this USC team at this stage, that is a death wish. If you ha- if USC beats you by having by compiling a bunch of twelve to fifteen play drives and they go down the field dinking and dunking and beat you that way, like I would much rather deal with that than give up the plays that UCLA was giving up to USC in this game that were explosive. And you know that's kind of uh, coincidentally, USC's defense was falling victim to a lot of the same things because USC's defense was getting burned by big explosive plays in this game. I don't think UCLA was necessarily driving and having a lot of success on each individual play they were gaining chunk yards because usc wasn't covering their receivers yeah not the the best night for chris Steele. best afternoon for chris Steele. no he was he was exposed uh, a lot i think i feel bad for chris Steele because i am convinced that chip kelly highlighted him as the true freshman who he was going to just embarrass because the 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 issue wasn't that they were going well, like one on one with with Chris Steele. They were confusing Chris Steele. Chris Steele was getting burned because somebody wasn't covering the right receiver. The the receiver that we think that he was responsible for wasn't being covered at all. Yeah, and you end up with big gains by UCLA's receivers, their tight ends, everybody. Yeah, and that was the other problem is that UCLA the the, the there were three things that UCLA was doing that they had success in this game offensively. Uh, one. Uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson was having a good game and he was using his legs to extend plays. Uh, he was a little bit hobbled by that ankle problem, but he was still moving around. Uh, two, they were taking advantage of Chris Steele by using misdirection and by just confusing him uh, and, and confusing USC's assignments. And three, in the second half, they were taking advantage of John Houston and Kanai Mauga, USC's linebackers over the middle, by basically just targeting their tight ends over, uh, across the middle. And whether it was a breakdown between the linebackers or a breakdown between the safeties, uh, there was a lot of room for those tight ends to to make plays in wide open positions. And that is a problem. Like the number of times that UCLA had wide open guys is scary considering the fact that we've talked in the past about how USC has had mix and match defensive, uh, mix and match secondaries throughout the year. This is USC's full strength secondary. Both starting safeties, the three starting corners, the nickelback, and everybody that's in there has been well established for a long time. So the fact that UCLA was able to find the spaces that they were downfield wide open is a problem. And UC- USC was having the same problem where they weren't getting pressure on Dorian Thompson Robinson quick enough to prevent those wide open plays uh, from from hurting them. Yeah, and you have to be able to do that stuff, especially when you show that you've been able to shut UCLA down repeatedly for plenty of drives in which UCLA went three and out, four and out. Uh, and and punted right. 
And those were drives where they were pretty much getting pressure. Yeah, and and so the juxtaposition of those drives with the drives in which SC just got gashed really is a uh, ultimately a head scratcher because yeah they're able to get pressure able to stop the run force UCLA into tough tough spots on third down in which they don't convert you play the percentages there and you end up you know turning over the ball and so SC needs to rebound there SC needs to get better on defense we've been talking about that over and over and over and over and over again we know what this defense is they are what they are nothing's changing at this point uh luckily for USC UCLA's defense was pure pure whatever negative adjective you want to throw in there and sc was able to just completely capitalize over and over and over again yeah that's the one good thing usc's defense wasn't the worst defense on the field this <laughs> is true yeah. but i don't think that changes uh, upon reflection and upon rewatch i don't see how usc justifies bringing clancy Pendergast back next year i really don't no i mean they let's be honest it should be a complete new slate yes of yes. everybody but if it's not at the the least they could do is at least give us another Notre Dame 2.0 situation. Like the only I could understand if you bring back the offensive staff. Yes. But defense, the defensive staff entirely has to go. Yes. And I feel bad for Greg Burns because I think Greg Burns has been fine. Yeah. I really uh, the, like the, him. the the secondary has not been a liability and they surely could have been and probably should have been. And they weren't uh, until this game. And you know, I think you, you take that collectively as the season goes on, but you needed to make up for, for other areas like with the linebackers uh, and, and stopping the run because it needed to be more consistent than it ultimately was uh, for the Trojans there on defense. Uh, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and do the over-under and then get them to the mailbag to wrap this thing up. We'll be right back. So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. All right, ladies, so let's get into the over-under. This might be my favorite over-under segment of the entire season. Lies. You kicked my ass last week. Truths. And you came back from a big deficit to take a lead for the season. Your first lead since, like, week two. Will it last? I don't know. We're going to have to see. I think the people already know, and it's lies. <laughs> uh, first one, you said over under 149.5 rushing yards for UCLA. The Bruins had been averaging 158.7 with six games over 150. USC had been averaging an allowance of 167.4 with five games above 150. Yet for some reason, you took the under here. I took the over. It was 157, the over, for, just about at UCLA's average. For some reason, I was actually originally going to put this over under at 158.5, and it was going to be, will USC keep UCLA under or over their average? That would have made more sense. But then I decided, like, that's too high, because we know that UCLA, USC is going to focus on stopping UCLA's rushing attack. So I dropped it down to 150, and it was 150 freaking seven. I'm mad online. Well, t to give you some credit here, I think the spirit of what you were saying came through. SC stopped their run for the most part. It was DTR scrambles yeah. that ultimately got got them over uh, the the 149 and a half here. Um, 
Joshua Kelly didn't do anything. He only averaged three yards per carry. His opportunity rate, I think I saw, was like 27% or something like that. SC held him in check, didn't let him beat them. They they tried to force DTR to beat them, which I think is the, the way to do it. They just struggled with that part, uh, ultimately being able to score more on their offensive side uh, to prevent DTR from really doing more damage in this game than he could have. Uh, let's go to the second one. Over under five and a half USC passing plays of 20 plus yards. The Bruins ranked 120th in the country in allowing 20 yard passing plays. Keaton Slovis had six against ASU, seven against Cal. Alicia, you took the over. I took the over. He had eight, six, seven, eight, which means he's due for nine in the bowl game. Michael, we're smart. We are. I yeah. think that was a pretty obvious one. Yeah. 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 A little bit. We're not smart on the next one, though. No. 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 Uh, over or under three and a half turnovers for both teams combined, both an average two turnovers lost per game. USC was averaging just 1.3 takeaways with UCLA 1.2, and uh, neither team forced that many takeaways in this game. Uh, you took the over. I took the over for turnovers. It was actually just two, which is the under DTR, for, for all the talk about him being reckless with the ball, a little Sam Darnoldish, he never fumbled the ball away. Yeah, and that was frustrating because, you know, I noted that neither team is particularly good at takeaways, but I thought that the sloppiness of both sides, the, the turnover proneness of both sides would win out in this regard. And obviously the inability for either team to generate turnovers is really how this all played out. Um, Amon Ross St. Brown's muff punt was just a, a singular mistake that UCLA didn't necessarily force. It was just him dropping the ball. I guess credit to the punter for making it hard to catch. And then DTR's interception was just straight up a bad throw. Um, so that's that. That's the two that, that happened. But I certainly expected Keaton Slovis to maybe make one of those throws that he makes where he uh, gets um, where he gets just a little bit cocky and and thinks that he can fit something in a window that's not there. He did fumble. Keaton did fumble once. It's just that the ball slipped right over to Stephen Carr, so they avoided that turnover. But I don't know. I just expected the game to be more turnover sloppy than it was. Yeah, and it it definitely wasn't. I mean, the the pick that that DTR threw was a bad pick, but. You know, given everything else he did in this game, I think if you're a UCLA fan, you're pretty happy with the, what DTR did in this game. Uh, he just didn't do enough to ultimately win the game. Uh, let's go to the next one. I said over under 0.5 punt returns of 10 plus yards. UCLA was second nationally in punt return average. And Kyle Phillips had been a pretty darn good returner for the Bruins thus far. You took the under, I took the under. The over-under here is essentially, will UCLA have a return of 10-plus yards, right? 0.5. No, they had zero. The over-under pays out for both of us. The over-under should have been, will UCLA have a punt return of any yards? Because that was also zero. Uh, So, yeah, UCLA just simply did not have a punt return. Which is kind of what, you know, Ben Griffiths doesn't have a great average in terms of the the length that he's put in the punts but in this game it was very clear that they were just like meh don't give him a return yeah and, which and, we and can argue out. about the strategy but i suppose if that's your strategy then it worked out we can talk about ben griffiths also a little bit uh you know the the season's over 12 regular season games are over ben griffiths had a lot of hype i think for the first three four games 
did not live up to that hype. Can can confirm he is not on the gay the Ray Guy finalist list no. this he, year. He is not. You you have been you've so been voted. This a is bit. The, my my declaration that he would win for consecutive Ray Guy awards has gone the way Not of looking uh, Casey Claus. I mean, of, of Bino um, Cook. Yeah, no, Clausen, um, Jimmy Clausen. Well, well, Bino Cook said that about Ron Paulus. No, well, well, Jimmy. Clausen, that's, but Jimmy that's Clausen where the Jimmy Clausen thing came from. I don't think Jimmy Clausen was like quoting Ron Paulus's thing. No, Bino Cook saying it about Ron Paulus was like a that was a meme. And I don't think that Jimmy Clausen was quoting a meme. I think Jimmy Clausen was actually talking about winning that many Heisman's. When it's Notre Dame lore, it was absolutely Bino Cook and Ron Paulus. Okay. That's the origin. Of okay, that. fine. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever you say. I, I would just think you would know as a Notre Dame alum. Uh, yeah. Just saying. Uh, let's talk about the, the best over-under here. Uh, you said over-under 159.5 for a Keaton Slovis passer rating. UCLA was averaging 166.19.19. Uh, defensively, and for some reason, you set the line at under UCLA's average. Keaton Slovis going into this game was at 162.94. You took the over, I took the over, and then I said, make it a bacon bet to where I, I was so confident that if Keaton Slovis didn't do it, I said I would eat bacon on the car cast. Uh, spoiler alert, you did not eat bacon on the car no. cast. Can I explain my reasoning for the over-under? Because when I looked through the game logs of UCLA's opponent passer ratings, it was either above 160 or below 160. Like that, the average was 166. But like when you looked at like the, what do they call one of those charts where you then draw the line through it? Like the line was more like at 160. So that's what I was sort of going for. And honestly, we've seen Caden Slovis be at the whim of the turnover machine thing. And we didn't know if this was going to be a Stanford situation or if this was going to be a, I don't know, BYU situation. And obviously it was a Stanford situation. Keaton Slovis is on another level. He's otherworldly at this point. And he's making really bad defenses look really, 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 really bad as he did on Saturday. So good on him. But uh, low-key, I'm disappointed that you're not going to eat bacon. Bacon sucks. I'm not disappointed. Uh, 198.9 is the passer rating for Keaton Slovis. Throws for 515 yards. Spreads UCLA secondary, which is uh, real bad. Real bad, save for Darnay Holmes. Real bad. And even Darnay Holmes, like, just could not live with the matchup that they had him with. Yeah, not at all. Uh, Next one, over under 12.5 catches for Michael Pittman. He had 82 coming into the season, which was 10th on USC's single season list. The reason I sent this at 12.5 was because he would need 13 to tie Mike Williams' 2003 season with 95 catches. So this is all a big question. Can Michael Pittman tie Mike Williams? I thought it was very presumptuous to put the line there. A little ambitious. There was, And I wanted to take the over... But I talked myself out of it. I said that was a little too bold. The, the likelihood was was unlikely. Like Yeah, even though he had 13 at ASU and 11 at Cal, like it just yeah. felt like a lot. At least he had exactly 13, which pays out the over, which means neither of us got it right because we both took the under. Yeah. Uh, I think, should, should we give credit to, I think it was Sean in Mid-City-ish who took the over. He thinks yeah. he's the only one who took the over. And yeah, that was a bold over. And wow, Michael Pittman... Made it happen, and he rightly deserves to be up there with Mike Williams in that 2003 season. Can, can we talk about uh, Todd McShay uh, saying that 
You know. Oh yeah. What? <laughs> Michael Pittman reminds me of Mike Williams, not the USC Mike Williams, but the Clemson Mike Williams. And I'm not here to to say that that's a bad comp or whatever. I I don't care. It just sounds so alarming and you know. Uh, shocking to hear someone talk about Michael Pittman and Mike Williams and it not be the Mike Williams that everyone knows and loves that that to me was like wait hold on what I mean I'm I'm not saying That's he's wrong I mean it might, it's probably a, a good comparison because I don't think that uh, that USC Mike Williams and and Michael Pittman are are that close so but I it mean it, I'm, it's I'm not, funny it's funny that it's he, funny sounding especially on the day when he ties Mike Williams right. for his best USC season like or the the 2003 USC season so like that's funny but uh, yeah it's just the way that he said it as though like like oh I'm not trying to like diminish Mike Michael Pittman I'm I'm trying to raise him up it's like no Mike Williams at USC was like comparing him right. to Mike Williams at USC is not a bad thing like no. Even though they're they're completely different players. Yes, yes, absolutely. Like I wouldn't compare him to Michael to Mike right. to Mike Williams either. Yeah. But anyways, at least USC's Mike Williams. <laughs> There's a lot of Mike Williamses out there, so there are. Uh I wanna say I I, I don't remember if this was complete when SC played Washington in two thousand two, the game that I've talked about before, that, that was the game where I knew SC was for real in 2002. They beat them. Flea Flicker to, to um, Kareem Kelly from, from Carson Palmer. SC goes 5-2 and two in the season, and that's when I knew SC was for real uh, under Pete Carroll. But in that game, there were three players wearing number one, and they were all Williams. Hmm. Hmm. I mean. Washington had two of them. And I want to say that the linebacker was named Mike Williams or Michael Williams. Michael Williams. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, the receiver whose name freaking escapes me right now used to play for the Jags, Williams. Anyways. I got no idea. Yeah. Anyways, uh, David Orange County's over under here was over under 29 and a half. Joshua Kelly carries. Uh, he's only gotten that once this year, 34 uh, against ASU. But that's where Dave set the line. You took the under. I took the under. It was way under at 15. Yeah, I mean, and and we took the under. I I took the under thinking he'd like, at most be at like twenty, and he was way below that. So we knew that USC was going to try and focus on on keeping him contained, and they absolutely did that. But I think UCLA figured out pretty quick that DTR was going to be the guy that was going to do anything for them, and so they they went all in on him. Which I don't blame them for that because obviously it worked to the tune of thirty five points. But Joshua Kelly was not ever going to be allowed to do. The same thing, like last year, I don't think Chip Kelly went into that game thinking, I'm going to give Josh Kelly 40 carries. It was, wow, USC can't stop this. So let's just keep doing it. And this time USC was able to stop it. So they just didn't keep doing it. Yeah. Uh, all told through the week, uh, I went five and two. You went three and four, but it is doubled for rivalry week. So I go 10 and 4, you go 6 and 8. The new record for the season, I am 48 and 40, you are 46 and 42. Yeah. Well, we still got double double wager going on for any games that two, maybe probably one, but maybe two games left in the season, so I got time. Yeah. We we'll, we will see uh what happens with that game predictions here. Bill Connolly said USC by 17.6. Alicia, how many points did SC win this game by? 17. Bill Connolly, dude. Bill coming Connolly. Through. Bill the snat guy coming he through. He just knows it. He does. Uh, Vegas said USC by 14. 
at least when we did this uh, on on Wednesday, did our did our preview show. Uh, SC covered that. Your prediction was 39-29 Trojans. Mine was 48-28. I was closer to the margin of victory. You were closer to the score line a little bit, sort of, kind of. We were both kind of right. I mean, I, 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 think I, I guess was, I was closer. I think you were closer in terms of you got closer to USC scoring total. I was way off USC scoring total, and we were both sort of in the range of UCLA scoring total, but... I don't I don't know that we saw this actually playing out as the shootout that it played out in terms of USC keeping up its end of the bargain on that shootout. So, right. yeah. All right, let's move on to the Pick'em League and Alicia, you and I are not good human beings. We are the the worst human beings in fact. This is this is very true. We did not make any picks. We we each finished tied for dead last with 0 in this week's Pick'em. Yeah, uh, the funny thing is that I know that we talked about making picks, but I don't know what happened between the whole, like, talking about the throwing out of the statement, like, oh, we need to make picks, and then, like, the actual making of the picks thing. Yeah. Yeah. Did not go well for us. We, we've completely dive-bombed and wah, ruined wah, our, wah. our standings here. But shout-out to this week's co-winners, the... La Brea Tar Pitbulls with 18 wins this week in picks. And D-Set also 18 wins. What does that mean for a record? That means going 18-6 and six out of 24 picks last week. Pretty, pretty, pretty damn good. Uh, for the season so far, it's still Kangaroo 30 with a record of 170 and 99. The La Brea Tar Pitbulls. And Air Rain for the win are in second place, tied at 169 and 100. And in fourth place, Scantily Clad Peristyle. Great name, by the way. Great name, by the way. Fourth place at 167 and 102. Uh, and our pal L.A. Fred coming up in fifth, 166 and 103. Hey, Fred. Everyone's super close. We'll, we'll see what happens and who ultimately pulls it out. This is a huge week for Pick'em. Two more weeks left, and we'll, we will see. Uh, let's take a quick break. Come right back. Do the mailbag. Be right back. You've got mail. All right, Alicia, let's get into this and start with an email we got from Mo. Is the administration ready to go to war with the fan base to keep Clay Helton? Because that's what's going to happen. Bone and Folt will become enemy number one. If you look at every tweet Bone posts, there are hundreds of fire Helton comments, and they are really wanting another year of uncertainty where we talk about Helton getting fired every week. Personally, if they keep Helton, I am done. I am not coming back, no matter what. Mo. Yeah, I think that's the sentiment of a lot of Trojan fans. And weirdly enough, you know, all last week, the the sort of rumblings around the national media, at least, and their sources was, if he beats UCLA, it's uh, it's it's going to be closer to possibly keeping him. Beat UCLA uh, with a big offensive performance. And now USC is entering this bye week and... The rumblings are not changing. The rumblings are not shifting at all. Bruce Feldman on Monday said that, uh, you know, he's Helton has a lot of support from Mike Bone and Carol Fultz at this point, that they like him, that they like the stability and all that. So, I mean, this could come to, it really could come down to what Utah does. It, it could. But 
what looked like a sure thing early in the season. I think Football Scoop called it the the worst kept secret in college football that Helton would be fired. Well, I don't know if that's uh, if that's the case. And this goes back to a few weeks ago. I worried that you know that that they needed to fire him after the UW or Notre Dame losses. Because you don't want to give him the opportunity to win his job back, as unfair as that might be to him. Um, from a USC perspective, you'd, you'd rather have an interim than give him the chance to win his job back. And unfortunately, I guess depending on how you look at it. I mean, you could have given the interim a chance to win the job. Well, but we all know that USC should know better than to hire the next, hire their interim. There is should no, and, and will. There is no qualified things. interim yeah. on this staff. So, you know. I mean, was, was Clay Helton qualified? No, but that was our whole point is that they should never have hired him in the first place. So, you know, that's that's where USC finds themselves in. And, and I think everyone is now gearing up for the worst case scenario. And I'm laughing because... <laughs> I've been saying for weeks, guys, the worst case scenario is is not entirely implausible. And the closer we get to the end of the season, the more I think people are starting to see it from my perspective, which was never advocating for said worst case scenario, but just warning of the possibility of it. I keep saying I'm not con- con- completely convinced that this isn't politicking. I mean, it might be. I'm not saying it's not. Like, I don't know anything. Because there, there's nothing that has, has come out officially that Mike Bone has not said he's he's coming back. Mike Bone has not fired him. Uh, there is a week to play with here because of the uncertainty of what happens in the Pac-12 South. The Utes are still in control of the Pac-12 South. But if they lose to Colorado, even though they're 28.5-point favorites or whatever, very unlikely, especially at Rice-Eccles. SC goes to the Pac-12 championship game if if they were able to fall flat on their face. Certainly possible. Definitely not likely in the million, million cases. It's probably not going to yeah. happen. But, well, d- but, but, but it comes back to, you know, I, I've seen it on Twitter. Well, shouldn't you just fire him if you know right now? I, I don't think so because if you're Mike Bone, you cannot... You you need to be able to know every possible scenario and need to be need to have an answer or a a plan for every possible scenario. If you come out right now and say Clay Helton is coming back, okay, what is what what does that do? It helps recruiting certainly because there's some clarity there a little bit. Um, if you fire him, it helps recruiting a little bit because there's clarity and you can go out like clarity is the most important thing for recruiting right now than, yeah. than anything. But at the same point, what happens if you go out there and say Clay Helton's coming back? Utah lays an egg like they have been prone to do in the month of November, and SC backs in the Pac-12 championship game and gets absolutely blown the hell out by Oregon again. You're gonna tell me that's not a fireable game? Well, I it think, absolutely is. I think that's and so, and so I, that's an explanation for not. Announcing, not announcing that he's coming back right, right now, right? But I, I think that doesn't like exclude the 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 wisdom of just firing him now. Like if you if you are going, I think this is why people are freaking out right now. I think this is why there's anxiety around the around the fan base right now is because if you were definitely going to fire him regardless of what Utah does, then you wouldn't need to wait. 
You could just do it. I think no. I, I think you have to wait because you need to see what happens if there's a Pac-12 championship well, game. See, you do we not disagree. want to go there. We disagree. With an interim well, that's what we coach. disagree on the interim thing. I don't give a crap about going into the Pac-12 title see, game with here, an interim. Here's the difference. I don't think Clay Helton has described himself as a as a CEO. He's not actually involved in any of the stuff that goes on on the team allegedly. Right. So if you fire Clay Helton and have an interim coach, you have John Baxter as your interim. That's not excluding you from the possibility of winning the Pac-12 title game. What message does that send to your players? That they're mo- that you're moving on and the players... What message does that say to, to Michael Pittman? Michael Pittman can still win the Pac-12 title game on his own. Like, he doesn't need Clay Elton there holding his hand as far as I'm concerned. I think it is unfair to your players to go into a Pac-12 championship game. You know what? We're taking away your coach before you get that opportunity. I think it's entirely unfair. You let them. You let them be eliminated before you fire the coach. I mean, they fired a lot it, like, of coaches I, before I they were that, eliminated. That the long-term goal is to win com- multiple conference championships and playoff berths and win national championships and all that stuff. And we all agree Clay Helton's not the guy to do that long-term. But at the same point, a conference championship is still possible. And I don't. And, think, and for these players, I think that matters. I, and I think that they would, it matters whether or not they fire Helton. Like, I, I just don't, I just don't, I think we just flat out disagree on that and that's fine. But I don't, I don't care about having an interim for that game if, if that game happens. Because you can look forward and, and I get that long term that this conference championship game should not matter in the sense what I'm saying, of, but, in general, but I think that, what I'm saying, no, what I'm saying is, you're not going to get another is, opportunity with Michael Pittman in that championship No, but my, game. That's my, all my point is, is Clay Helton the guy or is he not? If you know no. he's not the guy, then it doesn't matter. The timing on it doesn't matter. If you know he's not the guy, just say it. He's not the guy. And you could even say, like, this is Clay Hilton's last season. He's coaching his last game. I don't know. Maybe that's even worse than having an interim. But whatever it is. But but then you run into the Ed Ogeron thing. And then if you're Clay Hilton, do you resign at that point? Well, like, I mean, that would be up to I, him. You probably wouldn't because you, you wouldn't want to get rid of all that money that you'd be owed. But My point is, is if Mike Bone knew for certain that my, that Clay Helton isn't his guy today, he should just cut the, cut the cord today. And I think what people are concerned about is that the fact that they're waiting might signal that they aren't sure. I don't know if Mike Bone has made a decision one or, or another. Or it might signal that they don't have the money to pay the buyout, well, and, and this is all posturing and politicking to get boosters to be like, okay, fine, we'll... Put up the money. Yeah, and, I think and, that's I think that's let's possible go do too. Yeah. yeah, which is why I think that you wait for the potential of like a loss to Oregon, where people are like now I'm really upset. Now I'm definitely gonna chime in uh, or chip in, you know, ten million dollars to go out and get Jack Del Rio. Uh, yeah, that's that's the end that's game, the answer for sure. Uh, let's go to an email from from David in San Diego. Hey, guys, just want to write in and share a few thoughts regarding the team and the podcast for the season. First off, I was personally really enjoying watching Keaton Slovis play football. Yeah, it's frustrating when he is careless with the ball, but he just has an it factor that makes him fun to watch. I understand it makes sense to have a quarterback competition out of respect for JT, but it would make zero sense to me if Keaton Slovis was not the starting quarterback come the Alabama game next year. Secondly, I have listened and completely understand the thought-slash-conspiracy theory that Alicia has been talking about regarding Clay Helton, but have some thoughts that I really, really want to say. I understand that Clay Helton is a great person and a solid man, but in my opinion, he is not the football coach to bring a national championship to USC. You guys and other media have said, it's hard to fire a coach that goes 8-4. and four. 
But can we look at that 8 and 4 again a little bit more in depth? The 8 and 4 includes wins over Fresno State, Stanford, Utah, Arizona, Colorado, ASU, Cal, and UCLA. Which of those wins are impressive? I guess you can say Utah. Even though we just chucked the ball in the air, lucked out because Zach Moss got injured, and Utah turned the ball over in crucial uh, situations. Other than the win against Utah, only Cal has a winning record, and they're 6-5. and five. Going back into that win, the game against Fresno State, Colorado, and ASU were not really impressive at all. And the same mistakes and inconsistencies we have seen all season continue to show. I really don't like how people give Clay Helton the benefit of the doubt by beating bad teams. Mike Bone got here, and Helton is trying to prove himself by showing that he can beat ASU, Cal, and UCLA. Is Clay forgetting about the embarrassment of the Oregon game when we controlled our destiny in the south and it was basically the biggest game of the season we still have our same inconsistencies in the ucla game anyone want to talk about the special teams or the defense the only real difference against ucla is that we took advantage of their poor pass defense and scored 52 points other than that it seems pretty similar to our usual mistakes as a team my rant here is basically pointing out that Mike Bone and the administration cannot look at Helton on the surface level by the scoreboard on some of these games. The fans and media specifically covering USC know that there are still real problems. Problems with Helton and his coaching staff They get covered up with the talent, as I have said before. When making this coaching decision, Mike Bone and the admin really, really have to take a deeper look at how the team has performed week in and week out during Helton ten- Helton's tenure. The discipline, the inconsistency, the mediumness, they cannot award Helton by beating, and sometimes barely beating, bad teams. If the administration wants a nice guy coaching their football team, then go ahead and keep him. If they actually care about winning football games and championships, then they need to let him go. This rant was sparked by after reading some articles about Helton maybe having a good chance of coming back after beating UCLA. Give me a break. As Michael said, the only possible way that Helton could be considered to return, in my mind, is if USC backs in the Pac-12 championship game and wins the Rose Bowl. It's time to go either way. On a lighter note, this was my first season listening to the podcast, and I want to say that you two do a great job every week, and I really enjoy the content you two produce. Keep up the great work and fight on. David from San Diego. Thank you, David. Uh, as, as I think we've said to other newer listeners to the podcast, we're sorry. Um, it's been a lot less depressing in past seasons, so hopefully you continue listening and hopefully things get better as, as we go forward. But that's the big question. And, and like your email lays out there, as much as I can play the devil's advocate and give the reasons why I could see someone like Mike Bone getting talked into the Clay Hilton thing, all it takes is scraping just slightly below the surface to understand that that was a very bad idea. And it's it's on a football perspective, it's a bad idea because you do look at the substance of, of USC's record over the past four years and it's it's not good enough. Um but even beyond that, Clay Hilton has completely and utterly lost the fan base. Uh, the Coliseum for a UCLA rivalry game was not well attended. And that's only going to get worse next season as USC, you know, how many USC fans are, I, I put this on Twitter. I asked people if they were going to travel out to Arlington for that, for the game to start next season. How many USC fans are actually going to make that trip? Because I know you and I, Michael, are making that trip, but partially be for non-USC, like partly it's because it's the, the podcast and the job. 
and partly because it's you know it can be like a family outing for for some stuff but like if you're a usc fan you don't really have great incentive to go back to the state of to spend money to go back to the to, to the state of texas in order to watch usc play and that's not even mentioning the home games that people are deciding that they're not going to tune in to to put in the the time and effort that it takes to go to a USC home game. Like I don't I I don't know if they recognize how toxic things are around the fan base. And I think if they did have a good understanding of that, then they would see that even if you like Clay Hilton, even if it's expensive to get rid of him for the good of the of the program, you just got to move on. Uh, but the the problem is, is that bringing in somebody from the outside, this was the, the byproduct of bringing in someone from the outside, is that they haven't lived it. Yeah. And, you know, I think it would be much easier to bring him back if last season didn't exist mm-hmm. and if there weren't suitable candidates out there. Yeah. And you have Urban Meyer, which everyone's clamoring for. But also there's Matt Rule and Matt Campbell and Nick Rolovich and Brian, Brian Harson and yeah. all these guys, right, that are Kyle more Whittingham. than capable I mean, I yeah, of, of coming in here and winning games. It's not like there aren't opportunities to go out and find someone who you would feel more confident in as the head coach. Yeah. So the context of everything says, yeah, you absolutely need to make a change. Because how else are you going to feel confident going to next season? And and the crazy part to this, too, is we, we talk about USC being media, medium. Well, they're also going to have a bunch of dudes back next season. So while we can sit here and say that they're going to come back and be 8-4 and four again, there's also the possibility that they go 11-1, right? Yeah. The same possibility that they go 5-7 and seven next year. Because... That that's what this team is. There there high there's highs and there's lows and there's so much talent on this team. Keaton Slovis potentially taking a huge step forward. All those receivers that are going to be really really good, even without Michael Pittman. Maybe, maybe Tyler Vaughn's is back. Amon Ross St. Brown's going to be there. You're going to have uh, Drake London, Drake Drew London, McCoy, Drew McCoy, Ford, Kyle Ford, Manu McLean, JJ Three. All those guys, right? Yeah. Like there's reasons to feel good about this team. And still sit here in the entire offseason and have to read email after email about disgruntled people. Yeah. It'd be so much easier if people just complained about the Coliseum. And mind you, we haven't heard those complaints yeah. in a while. Well, those were the good old days <laughs> when we could complain about like the Coliseum or what jerseys USC might end up wearing or, yeah. you know, whether or not USC's wearing a certain type of sock. I, I mean, like those were the days. Now everything comes back to the Hilton question. And and I know you and I are tired of it. I know other media members are tired of it, but like, I don't know that Mike bone, the, the question, <laughs> Mike bone, I did it wrong again. I just can't do it. Um, the, the question really is whether or not Mike bone can truly, uh, process the anger around the program. Um, when it comes to this, that's the, that's my big question. Cause you know, like has been said, Every tweet that Mike Bones puts out there is flooded with commentary. But does he take Twitter seriously? I don't know. He does have a penchant for talking to people like in the flesh. So have fans been telling him, you know, I want to change or whatever. Like, I know people are emailing him and all that. But again, I don't know the impact of those kinds of things. It's it's right. just complicated. Yeah. 
Uh, it's good an email we got from Randy in Redlands. Hey guys, the regular season has ended and it's time for Mike Bone to make his decision on what direction he will go with the football program. While it seems most people won't be satisfied with anything less than Clay Helton being fired, I don't think that is necessarily the right move. I actually think this is optimistic, Randy. <laughs> if you told me that they are going to go out and hire Urban Meyer and give him everything necessary to make the USC... Uh, program the premier program in the country, I would jump right on that bandwagon with five exclamation points. But that option was not on the table. I would stick with Clay. In my humble opinion, hiring anyone of a lesser caliber than Meyer would be a mistake. If I was an AD and unable to get Meyer or equivalent, I would retain Clay Helton. I would come out and show publicly that my faith in Clay and the team was headed in the right direction and assure fans and alumni that continued improvement was not only expected, but also a requirement of Clay's future employment. I would use the buyout money saved to bolster the coaching staff, recruiting and support staffs, and to improve play on the field, also to improve to appease the fan base and that wants change. I would instruct Clay to part ways with both Clancy Pendergast and John Baxter. I believe that what we have coming back on offense and being in the second year of the Herald Air Raid, that next year will be an elite offense. If we could continue to combine with an equally effective de defense, we would be very hard to beat. So I would spend the money necessary to bring in a top five defensive coordinator. I know the team hasn't performed up to the expectations and that Clay did not have the resume when he got hired, but I also know he has not been supported like other elite coaches we compare him to. I believe that he has improved every year as a coach. I think he deserves one more year of total support before we can make a fair decision on Clay. A lot has been written and talked about Notre Dame. Brian Kelly turned, uh, turned it around, but if not for all the injuries, I think USC would have been better than that feat this year. Recruiting is another issue. The problem with recruiting is not whether or not Clay can recruit, but rather all the noise around the program. Winning will cure all those problems, and luckily this year's class should be small, and as long as we don't just take bodies to fill the class, we should be able to fix it with blue shirts, gray shirts, and the transfer portal. I honestly believe, if it wasn't for a second-string quarterback freshman uh, making his first road start and a third-string quarterback making his first ever start on the road, that we would be looking at this as a season in a completely different light. I know that the opinions that I, that I expressed here are probably not shared by many, but I would like to hear what you think of them. As always, thank you for all that you do. Michael, don't for one second think that this podcast will work without you. Normal, no more grumpy Gus. Optimistic Alicia forever. Love you guys. Fight on. Optimistic Randy from, from Redlands. I didn't even know that he put Optimistic Randy in Redlands. It yeah, great. it is a case of Optimistic Randy. But uh, but can can I just share something here? Yeah. I think that if Clay Helton's coming back, if, then everything that Randy said here 100% should apply, right? If 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 you are making the decision that, that Clay needs to come back, then you need to go all out, put up or shut up with yeah. money, go out there and bring in an elite defensive coordinator. Uh, you can keep the offensive staff because we've seen that it works and go out and get some go out and say, you know what, we're going to make Jimmy Lake say no. Uh, we're going to make uh Dave Miranda say no, whatever it is, right? If, if, that, if that's who you are as Mike Bone and Clay Helton, you need to come out and say that, right? And and, and do that through well, your actions. Frankly, if USC brings back Clay Helton and that includes bringing back Clancy Pendergast and John Baxter, then um, 
the words that I would want to use to react to said possibility, I don't think I can say on air because this is not an explicit podcast. Um, can we say bollocks? Bollocks. There we go. Utter bollocks. Um, yeah. Uh, I think, okay, here's my reaction to this. Randy, I think you are being very reasonable. I think that your reasonability is <laughs> – I think we might be beyond the, the, the place for reasonability. Um, the problem I have with the idea that this season would be looked at differently if USC had beaten BYU and Washington is that BYU and Washington are not very good and USC would then still have a bad lost Oregon on the record. And the issue that we talked about going into the season was always, you know, USC could go eight and four and we could look at it and be fine with it. But this eight and four was, was, was continuing the trends that we've seen in the past, even the ones that we saw in five and seven, and even the ones that we saw in the year when USC beat, uh, won the Pac-12 title and in the year USC won the Rose Bowl. It's the big losses. It's the sloppy play against bad opposition that causes you to win ugly and it's the bad, bad loss. So USC, to me, it's not so much the UW loss that's the problem or even the BYU loss that's the problem. For me, it's the Oregon loss because you can't be losing that kind of a game, certainly not at home, to an Oregon team that we've just seen is capable of losing to ASU and that is capable of losing to, uh, to, to you know, to, to, or struggling with other teams in the Pac-12. This is not a juggernaut of an Oregon team. Right. And so the th- the questions that we needed answered this year were, can USC fix all, fix not all the mistakes that they, ha- they have had, because that's unreasonable, but can they shake off some of those trends that are problematic? And the biggest problematic trend is you're not up to elite competition. Right. And that's, the, that's my issue with it. So even if they beat BYU and UW, I think people are still clamoring for Clay Hilton's head. At the end of the season, more unreasonably, but it, the clamoring is still happy. And I think we are still having conversations on this podcast about how Clay Helton is not the man who's going to lead USC to a national title, which is ultimately the, the the biggest problem that has been had with Clay Helton from the beginning. I like to think of myself as a fair person that gets me called a Clay Helton shill often, but I don't think Clay Helton is as bad as people make him out to be. I think he's been OK. He's been fine. Um, I think this year is objectively a, a decent season. The problem is we need to talk about what the standard for USC should be. And maybe if you're at Arizona, the decent season is fine. You live with it. But at USC, the cost of the perfect weather and the great recruiting, fertile, fertile recruiting ground and the tradition and the, uh, you know, the newly renovated Coliseum and the history and the legend and all that kind of stuff. The cost of that is the pressure of the expectations that you are under as the USC head coach. The, in in um in soccer, I bring the, I brought this up before. They talk about the weight of the shirt. That when you play for one of the big clubs in in um Europe, if you're playing for Real Madrid, if you're playing for Liverpool, if you're playing for Manchester United, if you're playing for Barcelona, Bayern Munich, whatever the big clubs are, they they talk about this the concept of the weight of the shirt. It's heavy because you have all the eyes on you, and you are expected to be elite. You are expected to be great. The weight of the shirt exists for the USC head football coach. And this was a discussion on Twitter uh, yesterday too because or early in the week because Tom Herman at Texas is is fallen their 7 and 5, I think or or probably heading towards a 7 and 5 season. And at Texas, they also have what I would term the weight of the shirt. At Texas, 
what is good at Houston is not good enough at Texas. And so you're contending with that pressure. But that's a reality of the job. I don't think it's unreasonable for that pressure to exist. And this has been the conversation we've been having all week. National media members are out there talking about how USC fans are being unreasonable. I don't think USC fans are being unreasonable and expecting their head coach to be capable of competing for national titles. But that is the way that we do have to we, we can say it at both at once. This was a decent season. This season was also not good enough. Yeah, both all those things can exist. Yeah. Together. And when you ignore one side of it, that's when I think you're, you're a little bit unfair because yeah, we, we, we've said it before. This season, in as, as it stands... If you hadn't fallen to 5-7 and seven last season, this season is completely forgivable. It, for the most part, because of the injuries and all that stuff. But you're, it's still frustrating. One, it, that's not to say it's not frustrating. It's not to say that it's good. It's not to say that it's any of those things. But it's way more forgivable than last year, for sure, right? And at the same point, I can you can buy into the idea that that you know the injuries and this and that and all those things, and the team still fought for Clay Helton and and all that matters. But again, that doesn't take away all the inconsistencies and all the stuff that David mentioned in our last email, right? Like all that stuff exists too. Uh, all those things can can exist at the same point. And so when you're looking at it all, I think to me. The result is cut bait, move on, right? Like that's what the result is for me. Yeah. Uh, when you when you put everything together, um, but to, to go into you know talking about whether or not this was a season that you could be proud of, I, I think it could be a, a season that you would have felt good about for USC in comparison to the Notre Dame model. And I, I've said this before: if the Oregon game played out like the Notre Dame game, a respectable loss in which they fought valiantly. Right, mm-hmm. and they won either the BYU game or the Washington game. So, so you're nine nine and three, and you you're, don't have a blowout loss. Nine and three, you don't have a blowout loss because yeah. I think you can write off the BYU game or the Washington game. You can write off one, one of them. Or the other. You can't write off both of them. Yeah. And if your Oregon loss was a valiant loss to a top ten team, so be it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that wasn't the case. They got they got boat raced. Yeah, and that wasn't a one-off. Yeah, even if that and and I think the 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 more alarming part, and we've talked about this game, is that that Oregon game. It was a boat race in the st- in on the scoreboard, but it wasn't a boat race in how the game played out because SC had their chances. Yeah, which I think, if anything, is more damning for Clay Helton because it's not like they they couldn't have competed in that game. They absolutely should have competed in they, that they game. Were they were in competing that in that game until the kick return. Like they were right, right there in that game exactly. until the kick return. Touchdown. Exactly. Which which is which is more damning for Clay Helton for me. So uh, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and finish up the mailbag. We'll be right back. You've got mail. Let's get to Jake to uh, Jackson's email in Virginia. Uh, hey, Michael and Alicia, I continue to root for the Trojans, but man, it is just not fun to watch. The last few games have helped, but it is exhausting. I have done what Alicia has said in there that there are some awesome guys on the team, so I enjoy all the little things that they do well. But to my question, I know we have talked too much about Helton's job, but while I was listening to the podcast, I had a light bulb moment. What do you think about a Clay Helton and Mark Helfrich comparison? Both were offensive coordinators at the university prior to being hired. Neither had head coaching experience. Both took their teams to the Pac-12 title game. Helfrich even went to the college football playoff. It isn't a perfect comparison, but Helfrich and Helton 
continue to be a pretty close one. Helton's record is as of now is 39-21, and Helfrich was 37-16. It seems like Helfrich is Helton, but if Helton got fired after the 5-7 season, do you think Oregon was justified to fire Helfrich? Did they rush it? Helfrich went to the national championship game two years earlier. I feel like, we're, like we are saying the same things about Clay, that he won early but did a nice job for a little bit, but that the program went in the wrong direction. Instead of the year three boost, it was a disappointment. At least it brings up Helton's success as making it hard to fire him, but Helfrich's success at or had success at Oregon, didn't he? What do you guys think of the comparison? Interested in your thoughts. Fight on Jackson in Virginia. Can, can I just say here that, like, Helfrich and Helton both, as Jackson points out, both offensive coordinators who were promoted from within, but these are two situations that are completely different because Helfrich is why you hire from within. You hire from within when you are at the top. Yeah. Oregon was at the top, one of the most elite programs in the right. country at the time. 12-1 and one they, in Chip they, Kelly's last season. Yeah, they were they were national contenders. They were you know a couple years removed from being in the national title game, nearly beat Auburn in, in 2010, right? So there were reasons to keep the continuity. USC had no reason after they, after Kiffin and after Sark to keep the continuity they of Clay hired, Helton. They hired a, an offensive coordinator who had been the offensive coordinator on two failure teams. Yeah. Like, so, like, I think yeah. that if you're Oregon, you take that gamble on Helfrich to, to, to hope that he can keep the you're, continuation. You're trying to see that the he's the heir apparent to Chip Kelly. He's been working for Chip Kelly. You're trying to continue the, yeah. the trend. Yeah, just, just like USC Miami going to, after Larry Coker, the, right? Yeah, US, USC hiring Clay Hilton was trying to keep the trend of Steve Sarkeesian, who they fired? Or Lane Kiffin, who they fired? Like... Yeah, no, I agree that that, but you, but aside from that, I think there is a comparison to be had there, because Mark Helfrich has objective success in his first two seasons, and then he starts to slide. The difference for Clay Helton and Mark Helfrich is exactly what we talked about earlier. If this eight and four season is the year before, then we're having different conversations. So Mark Helfrich goes. 11 and 2, 13 and 2, and then in 2015 he goes 9 and 4. So 9 and 4, that his 2015 is USC's 2019, but it comes in the right order. In the, well, I guess in the wrong order, whatever whatever order. And in that, why, why did they go 9 and 4 in 2015? Because they had uh, injuries to Vernon Adams. Yeah. So they had a weird season, right? 2016 he comes back and then he goes 4 and 8 and then they fire him. So Part of the problem with Helton is that he has objective success in his first two seasons, and then the next year he has the fall off the cliff moment. So it, I think it's easier if you go objective success two years, and then eight and four, and then five and seven, and then you could say we're on a downward trend. But what USC ended up with with Helton was objective success and then plummeting downhill. And the the realistic question that could have been asked after five and seven after the five and seven season was, is this a fluke? Is this just a bad year? Everything went wrong, and you come back, and then it, this is why we talked about the Notre Dame model being ten wins. The Notre Dame want I think I said this in the off season. I might have even written something about it on the on the website. The Notre Dame model we're holding you to ten wins because well, they went you, nine and three in the regular season, right? But it was ten wins, you know. So. The, the the point of it was get to 10 wins and then we'll act like last year didn't happen. We can just bleach it all from our minds. USC's problem is that they come back this season and it's eight and four. And it's a bad eight and four, not a bad eight and four, but like a 
you got blown out eight and four. Right. And you lost and, to inferior and teams. And while and there's you know explanations for BYU and and Washington, there's also no explanation for why ASU was a near loss. No explanation yeah. for why no value like real explanation for why Fresno State was a struggle bus. All these things, right? Yeah. So that's that's the issue. But I do see the Helfrich Helton comparison, except that I think it would have been easier on USC if Clay Helton's records had been in the order that Helfrich's were. Because yeah. I remember at the time thinking Oregon's jumping the ship on this too early. But four and eight is four and eight, and I don't blame them for looking at it that way. Yeah, I I, I would agree. Uh, let's go to an email we got from Chris. Hi, my only it's Chris from Orange with a question. I've been trying to figure out for the last handful of years, why don't we ever use the tight ends in our passing game? They can be such a weapon, but I seriously think I can count the catches made by a tight end over the last two years on one or both of my hands. If I were a star high school player in that position, there's no way in hell ton in parentheses <laughs> i would come to usc there is zero stage for my development and spotlight i'm super annoyed by this maybe you could explain it to me also does the big point score win over ucla mean that helton is going to be there again next year fight on chris all right chris i'm glad you asked this question because you've been waiting to talk about oh this. i've been uh, this this is teeing me up and it might not be teeing me up in the direction people think it is as the resident tight end lover um, here's my thoughts on tight ends, guys. We're looking at this all wrong. USC just instituted a, a, an air raid, correct? In this air raid, who is the tight end? Name me the tight end, Michael. Drake London. Bingo. Bingo. Remember Jason Morrow at Texas Tech? Yep. What position was he playing? By the way, he was eligible for the Blitnikoff. He was eligible he... for the Blitnikoff. This is true, yes, because he caught passes. And it, the Blitnikoff is not just a wide receiver award, Michael. This is this is true. Uh, you know, PSA. Don't, don't forget that. Don't forget that. We must bang this into our head. The Blitnikoff is not just a wide receiver award. It is a receiver award. Uh, Jason Morrow, technically, he had a TE next to his name on the depth chart or on the roster. Jason Morrow lined up in the slot. Where does Drake London line up, Michael? In the slot. What is Drake London? A quote wide receiver, but essentially USC's tight end. Drake London is the tight end, guys. Drake London is the tight end. Say it with me. Say it. Everyone, just take a take a deep breath. All right, deep breath. Uh, inhale and on the exhale. Drake, Drake London, London is, is the, the tight, tight end. end. It's really that simple. You know what? You know what Eric Cromenhoek is. Uh, deep breath. Hold on. Eric Cromenhoek is the fullback. Yes. Eric Cromenhoek is a fullback, guys. If we just look at it this way, everything's okay. Remember how everyone loved Stanley Havili? Stanley Havili, because he was a fullback, but he could also go out and catch the ball occasionally. That's what Eric Cromenhoek is. Eric Cromenhoek is a fullback, guys. And when he catches the ball, that's the fullback catching the ball. I mean, where does where does Eric Cromenhoek line up most of the time, Michael? In the backfield. He is a fullback. He's an H-back, yeah. Yeah. An H-back, fullback, whatever you want to call him, he's a fullback. So, today we learned that Drake London is a tight end. Drake London, what are Drake London's stats this year? Drake London has the most, ca- I guarantee you, has the most catches for a USC tight end in the last 10 years. Because Drake London is a tight end. Drake London has 35 catches for 533 yards and four touchdowns. Yeah, I think the only person that come close to that, you'd have to go to like back to 2011 
Xavier uh, Grimble had 25 catches for 270 yards, and I want to say that's the best season by a... Go back to 2011. Grimble had 29 for 316 in 2012. Yeah. 2011. 2011, Telfer had 26 for 273, and Grimble had 15 for 144. So put yeah. those together. Um, the point being, Red Ellison has 20 for 20, for 229. Um, and then, oh, Anthony McCoy, 22 for 457. It was the second leading receiver on USA's 2019. So basically what I'm saying is that if you just put the TE next to Drake London's name, which literally we have heard on a broadcast, the coaches at USC say that Drake London is going to be a tight end. Well, guess what? They're already using him as a tight end. That is already his position. He's just a slight tight end, but he is a tight end. And, you know, we talk about Josh Follow. I think Josh, what we... If Josh Follow was doing exactly what Drake London is doing this year, has the same role, no one would, everyone would be on board with, wow, they're using the tight ends. But essentially, they're not using Josh Follow there because they're using Drake London there. Right. Like, when we talk about the slot, like, Valus Jones is not the backup to Drake London. Like, that that much is, is clear. So, again... I think we're just the 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 verbiage here is wrong. USC is using using the tight end exceptionally well. His name is Drake London. Yeah, he's just a split out tight end. Yeah, which is how uh, Sark wanted to use Bryce Dixon. Which is how which is technically Cliff how they Kingsbury used, used Jason Morrow. Josh Follow was listed. USC had a tight end and a flanker. I think or an F. They, uh, the the, the F, F tight, tight end. end. Yeah. yeah, last year that's that's essentially what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's not the traditional tight end that everyone Drake, thinks of. Drake London's but backup. It, but it's essentially the here's, tight end. Here's my favorite thing. On the depth chart, Drake London's backup is John Jackson III, who we have heard in the offseason might be considered as a as converting to a tight end during his career. So again, go. these guys are tight ends. They're, they're air raid tight ends. They're air raid tight ends, yes. Yes. And Eric Cromenhoek and Josh Follow and Jude Wolf and Ethan Ray are fullbacks. And I think if you're if you are Ethan Ray and Jude Wolf, you're definitely looking at it going like, I did not come here to play fullback. But at the same time, you know. But at the same point too, if if you are Jude Wolf and you are a good receiver, you could be moved into that to that Drake London yeah. kind of role too. Or you could look at yourself as becoming the next great USC fullback like Stanley Havili was. So, again, <laughs> sure. yeah. I, again, I just think we have to be realistic about what who who is lining up where and what are they. It's like uh, it's when, you know, in, in like Port Augustine was listed as an outside linebacker. Port Augustine was a defensive end. Let's just be real. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that's true. Moving on. Let's go to an email we got from Jay in Atlanta. USC is the collegiate football equivalent to, quote, Disney Star Wars films, multiple sequels to, quote, Spaceballs, Jay in Atlanta. This is all you. I, I mean, I'm the Star Wars person here, and I and, I, and honestly, Jay, I, maybe I don't get it. Here's my problem with the Star Wars USC comparison thing. Like, I, I can try to sort of think that I'm getting where people are coming from, but... The sort of dirty little secret is I really like the new Star Wars movies. Like if we're talking like USC is the prequel is in the prequel era, then yeah, sure, I'm I'm on board. But like the new Star Wars era is the one with that Disney has taken over. I love them like totally. So I you know I've been thinking about comparisons to soccer, and I know we're gonna turn people off here. Stop, Stop talking, talking about, about soccer, soccer Michael. Yeah, I know. Uh, 
for the longest time, I have thought SC is, you know, this team or that team, it changes. No, SC's Arsenal, right? SC's Arsenal in, like, if, if Arsene Wenger was Pete Carroll. And never left? More so, I'm talking about, like, SC's Arsenal in the sense of, like, it's just been, like, a decade of of being... Medium? Being medium. Actually, Arsenal as a, as the medium club is very accurate. Arsenal feels very medium all the time. Yeah. That's SC. Like, the, like Arsenal, like, fourth place is very medium. And, like, you can look at it and be like, well, Arsenal always has good players. Yeah. And Arsenal, like... Are always they, sort of okay. Like, yeah, they... they, they they compete, they they do these things, but they're also like nowhere near where the expectations are. Yeah. Huh. Huh. Yeah. Arsenal. I can do that. I can do that comparison. Yeah. Um I'm still trying to work out the Star Wars comparison if one I don't know. Doesn't Who's like. Spock then? <sighs> Michael. I'm not gonna I'm not I'm not even gonna bite. I'm not even gonna bite. All right, let's go to As voice- an aside, Spaceballs is amazing. Let's go to a voicemail we got from Lee. This is Lee from the Bay Area. Uh, I'm listening to your car cast, uh, USC, UCLA. When you mentioned uh, UC, USC didn't have enough players, I think, on one of the kickoff or one of the special teams. Uh, uh, one of the special teams. Do you remember in the first game, I think it was Fresno State or one of those games, what Clay Hedden said in his press conference that something happened or something crazy happened on a special team, and he said that would never happen again. Do you remember that? All right. Thank you. <laughs> I like the um, just abrupt end from uh, from Lee. Yeah, yeah. I have been asking myself the same questions. I mean – when you spend all off season talking about how you're going to be a more disciplined team and all that kind of stuff, and then you're not very disciplined on penalties, and then especially on special teams and just those simple things, I don't know who to blame. I don't know who to blame, but there is someone to blame, and the buck has to you know travel up that ladder for make. I mean, you have like offensive quality control, right? You have defensive quality control, like. Do you have special teams quality control? And are they the ones who should be responsible for figuring out you, 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 you should be out on the field right now? This happens every single game. I don't know. It's somebody. <laughs> it's got to be somebody's job. You but, think. but but the the buck stops with with Clay and and Baxter for sure. Uh, it's good to a voicemail we got from Michael in Idaho. Hey guys, this is Michael in Idaho. Just finished listening to your two-and-a-half-hour podcast on the uh, UCLA uh, upcoming game. Great job. Um, two comments. Number one, I think you're undervaluing Brian Harson, and I don't say it as somebody who's drinking the local Kool-Aid. Uh, the only concern I would have is I don't know how good a recruiter he would be in terms of uh, California, uh, which brings me to my major point, which um, neither one of you mentioned, I don't think, uh, is that um, from a recruiting standpoint, um, I heard this morning we're not even, or us, we being USC, is not even uh, getting one of the top 25 uh, recruits from California. So I think where Clay Helton has severely failed is in the recruiting aspect of things, and that might be one aspect or that would uh, be grounds for replacing him, and it's reflected in the play of the team. 
Uh, right on. That's it. I'll uh, probably give you another call after the UCLA game. Take care. Thanks for the call, um, Michael. Yeah, I so Brian. Let's let's talk about Brian Harson first. Uh, he is somebody who I think has had a lot of success at Boise State. My concern with Brian Harson is my concern that would extend to any G five head coach that USC might look to, which is to say that the leap from G five to Power Five is. Um, significant and I don't I would have not that I don't think he could make that leap but there it would you know there's no guarantee that he could make that leap and also my my thoughts on on Brian Harson still go back to how much is Brian Harson looking for another job like Nick, Nick Rolovich is hard enough to to determine because he went to to Hawaii but Brian Harson went to Boise State was born in Boise uh grew up in Boise like he is Boise born and bred so my my one question would really be how much does he want to leave Boise State and would USC be willing to like at the point that you're looking at Brian Harson, are you really like going out of your way to convince Brian Harson to come to USC, even though I think that as an alternative to some of the bigger names that are on the table, he certainly looks like somebody that, that could be very intriguing. Um, I imagine he could recruit just fine, but I, I don't necessarily know the details on uh, his sort of recruiting People, people thought uh, Chris Peterson couldn't recruit. Yeah, and he's done. He's recruited fine. Yeah, uh, and and the the funny thing too is that like when it comes to recruiting, a lot of that has to do with your staff. And you know, USC is still USC. You know, they it's if you bring in a staff that can do all the legwork, then you don't necessarily be, need to be the end all be all like head coach recruiter. Um, in that sense, as for USC on the recruiting trail. The difficulty I have with this year's recruiting stuff is that USC has been incapable of recruiting in part because USC has had a head coach that everyone is saying will be fired. So if you're a a, a player that's looking at coming to, to any university and you know that USC has Clay Helton, who is no certain thing to be there next year. Are you going to really commit to play for Clay Hilton? You don't know who your coach is going to be in year one, let alone uh, in in the the future. So I think that there's an argument to say that USC's recruiting class is a, is a direct reflection of the fact that USC has, has been recruiting with this like albatross around their neck, uh, the, the uncertainty around uh, around Clay Helton but looking at the the California top 25 for instance I think the big problem for USC is that so many of these guys are already committed and like yeah sure Justin Flo isn't committed yet but he has technically taken USC out of the running although technically USC is still sort of being considered but you know he's probably gonna end up somewhere else um they they could still get Gary Bryant Jr. I guess um but Oregon and Washington are pretty much cleaning clearing out uh, USC has a good chance with uh, LV Bunkley Shelton, so that's somebody. Darren Green Warren, that's somebody. And then Josh Jackson is number twenty-five, and he's a USC commit. But rest in peace, Gatchers. Yeah, rest in peace, Narbon. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, yeah, USC is way behind in recruiting the top twenty-five in California. But there's a reason. There's a good reason they're way behind in the top twenty-five in California, and it has to do with the job security. That Clay Hilton has right now, or literally doesn't have right now. Yeah, and and who who is involved with that job security? Who's in charge of that? Well, the 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 athletic director or the president or whoever. Yeah, and, and who is that? Mike Bone. 
Let's go to Michael Segnall. <laughs> hey, y'all. This is Michael in Idaho. Uh, the game just ended. It was uh, very enjoyable. A little scary for the defensive, quote-unquote, side, but still enjoyable. Um, first off, to Alicia, uh, my, actually, my name is Mike Jones. I don't get the reference to Mike Jones on the podcast, so, you know, don't feel so bad about it. Um, secondly, after I have to admit, I'm a bit flummoxed uh, after this game. Uh, I, I could see uh, Mike Bone talking to Carol and go, Well, Carol, you know, the offense is in really good shape, and we don't want to change the coach and the coordinator so we can keep Keenan, uh, you know, going his good ways. But uh, we need to get a defensive coordinator that can recruit and who's really good on uh, installing a defense. I don't know if he's an old guy or not, but for my take, I thought that would work better. Anyway, um, probably won't talk to you beforehand, so I hope you all have a great holiday season. And um, we'll just have to wait and see what bowl game we go to. I don't think it's going to be the cheese its Bowl, though, unfortunately. And uh, I'll talk to you sometime down the road. Take care. Bye-bye. Alicia. <laughs> Did you ever think that the bit would turn into having Mike Jones call into the Mike rant Jones line? called into the rant line. Mike Jones called into the rant line. Mike Jones. Or Mike Jones. Mike, Mike Jones. That was the closest you. There you go. You, you almost I can got do it. it when I'm imitating somebody, but I can't do it when I'm pulling it out of Mike my, Jones. Mike Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Who? Mike Bones. That wasn't bad. <laughs> I, I might need to cut that and make well, a drama. At the very least, Michael and I are uh, in, in simpatico about this reference, and uh, that's that's com- that's comforting. But um, yeah, the, <laughs> this uh, the cheese it bowl thing just way to crush me in the end, Michael. Way to crush me. Um, the cheese it bowl is not is not happening for USC. Nope. All that cheese it bowl Sounds, swag just that's fading swag. away. I legit have, like, seriously considered the thought of applying for a credential to the cheese and bowl. <laughs> you are a sad set. Oh, I'm very sad set. Yeah. All right. That's going to wrap up this episode. Thanks for listening, as always. Thanks for all the calls. Uh, thanks for the emails. Thanks for everything, you guys, listening during the regular season. It's been a blast. Still so much more to talk about USC football here as we get into the, uh, the 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 bowl season, the postseason, all this stuff, whatever ends up happening, uh, we appreciate you guys for listening. We we hope you guys have a awesome, awesome, awesome Thanksgiving, uh, an awesome Black Friday and Cyber Monday, and get all those deals and eat all that turkey and avoid the ham if you're at a family that has ham. Don't don't eat the ham. Eat the turkey. Don't eat stuffing or mashed potatoes either. Those are gross. All of the above sounds like it will be on my plate this year. No. Nope, nope, nope. Uh, oh, all right. Uh, phone number 213-373-1USC. Second What's Bruin Show. Email address, reignoftroy.fansi.com. You know where to reach us there. Patreon, patreon.com slash Troy. Go listen. We've just dropped the new Takes with Jake in which we talk about our playoff top four of Thanksgiving food, which is which was really fun. Outstanding. So, Alicia, we reached the end of the show. You got a final word? Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. All right, that's it. Until then, we'll see ya. See ya. See ya.